0: Well, it is Father's Day and so we decided two things. One is we'd actually have a service, which we haven't in the past, but we're doing a service today. We did a barbecue last week after services. We'll do another one of those in July. And then we're doing a really, really huge kind of combination of what you guys, if you've been here for a while, you've seen the harvest party and what we've usually done on Father's Day. We're doing a massive one of those in September, which is gonna be kind of invite your friends, your coworkers and everyone else to be a part of it because we're really excited about that but we decided to go ahead and 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 meet today and to to talk to fathers mainly because i i wanted to specifically look at a text that i believe is a piece of history that that would drastically help all of us that are fathers now some of you in here going i'm not a dad like that doesn't really help me much or I don't have a desire to be a dad or well I'll never be a dad because I'm a woman or whatever it may be whatever you decide to say like or I'm a really really young kid and someday I'll never want to be a dad and that's whatever your your're your thinking is I want to encourage you this text has something very very good to say to you as well whether you are a father or not but I'm going to specifically speak to fathers and to do that I thought we would look in the book of Genesis so if you have your Bible's turn with me to Genesis actually chapter 22 if you don't have a Bible just slip your hands up, and the ushers will bring you one as well. Um, Genesis. This is a, we're going to look at the father of faith, actually. And and before we do that, I just I know as dads we we tend to struggle sometimes with with faith in general. We tend to struggle as dads. And, and I like I'm a dad, and so I struggle at times with insecurities and fears. And, and am I doing a good enough job? Or there's the pressure of feeling like am I providing? Or am I doing what I should or shouldn't do? Or, or like, can I be a part of this, or, or should I not be a part of this? Or, I, I feel like there's, there's times where you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and then you look at texts like Luke eleven thirteen, where God is talking about fathers that give good gifts in, and basically equates us as earthly fathers to, to the heavenly father. and he says, compared to that, we're evil. And so knowing that like, I'm never going to measure up to God as father, there's this, there's this weight of what, is it, what does it really mean to be a dad? And if I'm really, really honest with you, like there's some huge failures in, in all of, of everyone's life, especially mine. Like I, this, this, even the last couple of weeks, I was driving home one space from my kids, hanging out with my kids and, and some other people and some friends. And my kids were so ornery the whole time. I mean, like, they were hungry, so then when we finally got them food, it's like, well, I don't want that. And then they, you know, so they go off and play, and then they come back and say, can I have a snack now? It's like, no, you can't. And they just kind of were, were wearing on me, and wearing on me, and wearing me. And, and, and then I know it's like, wow, this is what it's like to be Jen all day long. She's really strong, because she can handle this. And I couldn't. And so I remember driving home, and I had this thought. And I actually haven't told Jen that yet, so she'll hear this for the first time in this service as well. But I had this thought while I was driving. I was like, you know, kids, I didn't say this. This is in my head. But I'm thinking, you know, kids, if you just knew how hard you made it on us sometimes, like you'd feel really bad about the, the, the pressure you put on us and the, the way you get in the way of life. And it was like, oh man, that is, that's dark. Like there's this, there's this darkness in me that, that I, I can't believe I even had that thought. Like praise God I didn't say it to anyone but all of you in the podcast, right? And, um, and, and I'm like, why, why do I have those thoughts? But carrying those thoughts, I can't help but feel inadequate as a dad. Like, I'm just not doing enough. And if I could just do more. And and honestly, if if we look at all of the standards of what a good father is, most of us look at provision and and being there and being present and doing all of these great things and, and, and book reading and snuggling and being at the football games or the basketball games or doing all those things. And I think all of those are great and beautiful. But realistically, that's not really what's going to make you a great father what's going to actually help you be the father that you're commanded to do. In fact, the calling that you have as a dad. Whether you're a new dad or your kids are long gone, ultimately, we all have a role in this. And so so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at a bit of text that gave me a little bit of peace when it came to, to my shortcomings as a dad. And this is a, this is a story. If you, if you know, like, how many of you, OK, how many know Father Abraham, right? You guys know the song? Have, I mean, wow, you guys are great. Good job. OK, so anyways, yeah, Father Abraham, that's who we're going to talk about. In fact, he's, he's the father of faith is kind of the, the way it's done. Or he's, he's the one that, that, that the people of God have come through. And so Abraham, by all purposes and all understanding for us, is like, man, he's the guy when it comes to faith. Like, this is the guy that knows faith. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, where he p- kind of picks up, where he comes on the set, it's God speaking to Abraham, which is unique because at this point we don't know what Abraham really believed or studied or he was, he was around a, a culture of people that, that weren't practicing much of anything really except for a lot of pagan beliefs. But God shows up. So Abraham is able to hear God speak to him in chapter 12. And so he says he says, "Now the Lord said to Abram, at that time that's his name, sorry go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I'll bless those who bless you and him and him who dis, dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed and so here is here is Abram at this point of age of 75 and he's commanded by God to lead, leave everything he knows Everything he knows and understands, his family and kind of everything, and just go. And so he picks up and goes, his wife, a couple servants, and Lot, and they head out of their town. Now to us, that seems normal. We pick up and move for jobs or work or anything else. In this day and age, that is not something you did often. To leave your family, your safety net, was not what you did. In fact, they stayed together generationally to to care for each other and to raise up each other and to, to teach each other. That was something you did. And so him leaving was this huge act of faith. And so now it makes sense, right? Here's Abraham at 75 decides to, to start going on a massive trek to, the, to a different land where he has no idea who, he, who they are. He has no idea what's God doing, but just on God's promise alone, I'm going to do something now. Go. And Abraham steps out in faith. And so it makes sense that he's the father of faith. It makes sense that he's the one that does it because at a turn, 75, most of us are like kind of hunkering in. Right? We're kind of stepping in and going, OK, this is where I'm going to stay. This is, this is where I'm going to finish out. And he's, he's starting all over. And so he's, he makes this trek away. And there's, there's a number of chapters in between there that leads us up to chapter 22. And at this point, God has already done a covenant with him and, and clearly told him what he's going to do, and he's going to have a child. And so this child comes to him out of this miraculous thing, situation where, where Sarah is like 95 to 100 years old, and she has a baby. And this, this son, it becomes this precious, precious joy. Now, now, think about this. If you longed and desired to have a child for 95 years and you had that child, I feel like there'd be a special kind of love for that kid. Right? And this is beautiful. And there's this life together and they. Abrams gets to do all the things that he's wanted to do with his son. And so he's throwing football or whatever they had back then that wasn't a football, right? And they're, they're doing their books, reading time. And he's providing, he's working and he's teaching them all the ways. and He's telling them kind of the truth of the stories and what, what he knows about God. And he's sharing all that stuff with, with Isaac. And it seems to be going really, really well. Like everything seems to be making complete sense at this point. And then in chapter 22, we come to this really interesting text. In fact, Abraham is asked to do something that no one else in the Bible is asked to do. And the only thing that was probably harder to do was what Jesus did. See, Abraham is asked by God to do something ridiculous. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Chapter 22, verse 1 is where we're going to start. So after these things, this is uh, some stuff with Abimelech. Anyways, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, now I gotta stop, tested him, we, we talked about this in the past when we were doing James, but James makes it very, very clear that authentic faith requires testing, and, and God tests to strengthen your faith, to, to empower your faith. The enemy or the devil tests or tempts you to, to ruin your faith and cause you to sin. And so testing of faith is a good thing. In fact, we talked about it last week and even in Matthew as well. So God is gonna test Abraham, and he goes, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am, And then God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkeys, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And so we have this interesting spot where I want to kind of read into the text some of the stuff that happens. Because we don't get much other than God tells him to do this. Abraham wakes up the next morning early, gets everything in order, and takes off. We don't, we don't, and it's probably true that he didn't have a conversation with Sarah about this. But, but, but I don't know, like, how would that conversation have gone? Right, how, like, hey, so honey, I just want you to know God told me something. You're not going to like this, but I think we're supposed to do it. We don't have that. We don't have any of those conversations. In fact, he doesn't even tell Isaac or anyone else what he's doing. He just immediately steps into this and goes. But now, if I'm Abraham, which I'm not, I feel like that would have been a sleepless night. I feel like that would have been one of those nights where I really would have been wrestling in my sleep, wrestling through tears like, wait, because he knew very much what it meant to make someone a burnt offering. It wasn't a pleasant thing. It was kill, dismember, burn everything until it's complete ash. And here's your son, who's at this age, he's the estimated 20 to 35 years old. Your son who you love, who you've got this promise from God that says, "If I'm gonna make a great nation out of your son Isaac. I'm gonna make a people, you have this promise of God. And so here, the promise of God comes against your own personal feelings. And Abraham gets up the next morning and goes. "Won't well, make sense. He's the father of faith, right? Abraham's faith is, is real. And so he gets up and just goes, but I have to believe that there was some inner turmoil going on in there. And I'll talk about why I believe that maybe even later he had some doubts in that, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But could you imagine that three-day journey with your son, where you know what's coming at the end of it, and you, you make this long journey, you're sitting around the campfire, and you're realizing these are the last words I may have. And, and Hebrews kind of, Hebrews 11 breathes some life into this for all of us in this story. It says that, that Abraham knew that if he had Killed his son and after offered him a sacrifice, that God would have raised him again because he was that faithful and, that belie- and he believed that much of God's promise. And so for us, it kind of takes the, the turmoil out of the, the story because we know, well, Abraham believed God. Well, that's why he's the father of faith. Right? He, he's got it down. And so he, so he goes on this long trek and then he comes to this spot and it says, he says, after three days, on, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took, that, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, both, so they went both of them together. And then Isaac asks, in, in my mind, probably one of the most obvious questions. Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire, sharp, really sharp, big knife in your hand looks pretty sharp. And the wood that I'm carrying on my back, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I'm just, just curious, Dad. Just hang on now. You've seemed a little off. And I'm reading this in this story. This, we don't know what happens here. You seemed like you're struggling, like there's something battling inside of you, like you're, you're having a wrestle with, and I, I don't know if it's going on, but, but I'm carrying a bunch of wood on my back, and you're carrying some fire and a really sharp knife. And we're headed up to do an offering, and there is no lamb to sacrifice. There's nothing here. Now, I don't know if Isaac is reading into going, so, like, you mean, like, what's going on here? I don't know, what he's, I don't know if he's, he's reading into it. I don't even know if he, what he's doing. But he's, he's asking a very legitimate question. Hey, to do this, because he's done this many times with his father. He's experienced this whole idea of offering things before God. Abraham has taught him the way. They've built altars together. He understands what's about to happen. He's saying there's one piece of the puzzle missing. You know, I don't have time to go into this, but the, the story of Isaac and the rest of the way this goes and the story of Jesus are so amazingly beautiful, para- beautifully parallel. Like, they're, they're, gore, they, they're so much similar. Carrying wood, right? Three days, like this long journey, like it's all there. The difference between Isaac and Jesus, if you know this end of the story, is that God stops Isaac from being sacrificed and replaces him with a lamb. God doesn't stop that for Jesus. There's no substitute for Jesus. I and mean, so it's an incredible parallel, right? And this thing's going on. So they, they walk up, and this is, this is why I think Abraham is probably one of the best dads ever. Okay? It's this next text. He says, with confidence. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both, both of them together. Now, that's what I joke about where we first see in the Bible of parents understanding how to answer something without lying, right? You know, when you do that with your kids, like, can we eat that? Maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that right now, because if I say yes and don't give it to you, then I'm a liar. No. Abraham doesn't even flinch. He says, God will provide. But going into that, he knows full and well that he will provide, but he's going up in this Place with him being the sacrifice. And so he just kind of displaces the conversation and moves it up there and says, okay, let's just, you know, God will provide. Just start building, buddy. Let's, let's keep going. And so they build the altar. They take the time to do all this. They get the, the flame ready. Everything's in place. And then this is the most insane text ever. When they came to the place in which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Bound isaac his son now i want to just set this for you a little bit isaac is a a grown man because he's carrying a, a decent amount of wood up a hill he's in his 20s to 35 age. rage he's he's like strong and in his prime abraham is well in his years like 115 plus he's old and he's probably fragile although he's probably one of those like he's got old man strength you know what i'm talking about like it's just like he could shake your hand really hard somehow still but either way there is no way, and I believe this, there is no way that if Isaac decided to resist his father that Abraham could have stopped him. I bet Abraham, I bet Abraham long stopped arm wrestling his son. He said, oh, no, I mean, you're too strong. So, so what would make Isaac put his hands out and say, OK, go ahead, Dad. Come on, Dad, go ahead. What would make him willingly say, do it. Do what you're supposed to do. Was it, was it the bedtime stories? Was it the throwing the football or whatever they threw in their day? Was it, the, was it him talking about all the things and the ways that he's providing for his family, all those amazing work trips, and look at what he's done and what he's accomplished? Was it, was it how he loved Isaac's mom? Was it maybe that, that, that he, was, he was liked by all of his friends? See, I think all of those things are great, and they're good. But I don't think that's what did it for Isaac. Because no matter how much you do of that stuff, that's not going to make someone go, "Okay, go ahead, buddy. Take it. Instead, what I believe is I believe Isaac saw Abraham's faith in God and trusted that. He saw Abraham's faith in the God who created them and said, I don't know, Dad. This doesn't make sense, but but I trust you in that faith. I trust you. I mean, he's the father of faith, right? He left his land. He would have told the stories about his life. In fact, probably a lot of people around him knew the stories and the the mistakes and some of the other things that Abraham had done along the way. And Isaac, in all of this moment, said, you know what? My father is submitted to God. He has surrendered to God. And if God is calling him to do that, I trust his faith. So dads, how are we doing on displaying and living out faith for our children is our faith so hidden so hypocritical so weak that at times the parent the kids don't even know what we're following or do we have this faith that would make them go you know what here let me i'll pull tighter let me help you out here buddy see i think isaac knew his father was submitted to god and he said you know what this is what God is calling us to do. Then so be it. And if Abraham is as confident as we see in Hebrews eleven, which you have to assume he is, then he's saying, you know what? God is going to do a miracle either way. I don't know if he did it through tears. It's like, come here, buddy. It's it's you. You're you're the lamb. You're it, Isaac. Come here. And I don't know if he was crying when he did it. If he was he was struggling. I don't know if 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 Isaac's like, wait, what, what, Dad? Like me? Why why me? I don't we don't we don't get the conversation here, right? But ultimately, whatever's said, however it's done, it's just kind of passed through. He ends up with just helping him tie himself to it. OK, let's do this. No quarrel, no fight, tears. And he gets up on the altar, and we know that if you know the rest of the story, he raises back the knife all the way to that point. And at that point, a voice, an angel of the Lord, comes and intervenes. And a ram is in a thicket, replacing and in this moment, we know that this was all done to test Abraham's faith. God ends it with, and now I know that you trust me. This this test. It's this beautiful test. And so for us dads in the room, I read a story like that, and I don't get much hope because I'm not sure I could raise that knife on any of my daughters. But where I get hope from this story is actually a little bit further back in Genesis. See, there's more to this story, and I kind of skipped over from, from Abraham leaving and headed to the, to the land that he was called to go to, to, to Isaac being offered. And I think, I think that the rest of this story that we're about to share, this is my, my version. of it. I bet Isaac knew all of this stuff. In fact, I'm pretty confident that Abraham, sitting around a fire at one point, teaching him how to tie a tent off or something like that, told him these things. Hey, let me tell you about what I did. Let me tell you about what I did. So in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, God promises him to bless him. And says, anyone who opposes you, I will curse them. Like, I'm here. And, and that is one chapter later, he makes it to Egypt. And, and Sarah's a, a really good looking woman at 65 years old. And, and he's afraid for his life. So he goes in. He's afraid of the people of Egypt. And so he turns to his wife and says, hey, honey, I know God promised to take care of us. But these people are going to like you. And you're pretty good looking. And so let's just call you my sister and make this easy. Wait, wait, this is the father of faith that's, that's, that's basically calling his wife a sister, just in case you're wondering if that goes off. Well, I'm sure it doesn't, okay? But she does it, and they do this thing. But he didn't take into account the fact that, that her beauty was such that she would have been noticed by the Pharaoh. See, I think his, his thinking was great, right? He would have this, this set up where if, if someone wanted to marry her, they would have to come to him, and he'd say, I can do a long engagement, long enough for him to get away, because when they're engaged, they would still be under his house, and he could still be under her care or she could still be under his care. But with Pharaoh, that's not how it works. Pharaoh takes notice. When Pharaoh decides, she comes into his house, and there's a preparation period for her. And so she's taken away from him, and God comes in and intervenes, and then what I think is probably one of the most memorable things for Abraham is Pharaoh, a complete pagan, comes and rebukes Abraham for his faith, his lack of faith. So why would you do that? Why would you do this? Why would you put a plague from your God on us? Why would, you, why would you say she's your sister? And I feel like that's one of those rebukings that you might have remembered for a lifetime. Right? Like, oh, man, you're right. But God intervenes, saves him. Say, so move forward. God promises again, hey, I'm doing something amazing. And then chapter 15, we get the most beautiful, intimate thing ever. God enters into a covenant relationship with Abraham. He does. He, he tells him to break because Abraham's like, how am I going to have, you keep saying I'm going to have these descendants, but I don't have a son. The only one that's going to be is this, this son of a servant. And he's like, no, it won't be that. It will be your own flesh and blood. And Abraham's like, well, how do I know? Right, the father of faith. How, how do I know? Come on, God. Help me. And God says, OK, get me this ox and this beef. And he basically gets these animals. They cut them in half and bat pat them. And the blood would be in the middle. And the idea was that you'd walk through and pass and it'd be a covenant in place. And, and God does this huge, beautiful covenant thing with Abraham. He says, are now? I have promised this. It is here. It is happening. You know it. I have made a covenant with you. I will always uphold my covenant. My promises are good. It's like, all right. Moving forward, one chapter later, maybe a year later, Sarah gets a little impatient. Hey, so I know that God said we're going to have a son, but I don't have one yet. Here's my servant. She's an Egyptian. Why don't you go into her and get us a child that way? And Abraham, who has this intimate, amazing, like, Abraham, father of faith, super solid dude, right, has this awesome, intimate relationship, covenant thing done with God, and he's like, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Let's do that. And they take it into their own hands. And they try and solve the problem themselves because they don't trust the promise of God. So they take it into his own hands. This is the guy that that we all celebrate. Man, this guy's faith. This is what we want. Take it to his own hands. And a bunch of stuff happens with Ishmael. And that whole story kind of picks up there and a lot of things. And God's like, why did you do that? This is the way it is. But then he takes care of that. And anyways, then he says, "Okay, the son's going to be here. It's gonna happen, but just before he says that, you know what happens is Abraham and and, and Sarah—they're they're they're, re, they're named Abraham now and Sarah—they're they're making another trek, and Abraham has this idea where I'm I'm just not sure why he went back to this one in the bag, but he comes to this territory and Abimelech's the king, and he's like, "Hey, you're really beautiful, honey, at 95. So I'm a, I fear for my life. So why don't you call me your brother and I'll call you my sister." just in case if anyone happens. Are you kidding me, Abraham, twice the same thing? Didn't you learn your lesson the first time? It's 15 years later, 20 years later, and you're doing the exact same thing. And sure enough, Sarah's smoking hot at 95. She gets noticed, right? Abimelech's like, I want her. Let's go. And so puts her in the house. God shows up in Abimelech in a dream and and confronts him. And then the same thing happens. Abimelech comes to Abraham, and he rebukes him for his lack of faith. Abraham, what do you, why, would you, why would you do that? What's wrong with you? And I don't know. If I was Abraham, I'd kind of be sitting there going, man, I've heard this before. King, oh, right. Why did I go there again? Why did I do that? And then after that is where he gets the promise from God. Sarah laughs at him, laughs at the angel saying, this is not going to happen. And then sure enough, we all know Isaac shows up. Fast forward 20 or so years, and here we are at Mount Moriah. See, that's why I take hope in this story is because Abraham stunk at faith most of the time. He failed miserably and yet God continually used him and kept his promises. See, Abraham wasn't this elitist that could do it all. In fact, he failed over and over and over again in some of the silliest ways. And yet God completes his promise to Abraham, brings up Isaac. And so the genealogy goes all the way down to Jesus Christ, where the promise is fulfilled. And see, what happens is, is Isaac, I think Isaac, going back to that mountain, I think Isaac knew those stories. I really do. In fact, I kind of feel like we know why, and I'll tell that in a second. But I think Isaac knew these stories. He knew what his dad had done and hadn't done. I'm sure Abraham said, hey, by the way, dude, I made this mistake twice. Don't do that. It was a bad, bad, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't trust God. I was afraid. I struggled. How, how about that, dads? Have you ever, you ever told your children that you've messed up? you ever sought forgiveness for being too harsh? Wives, do you put too much pressure on your husband to be the dad that he's trying so hard to be but can't be on his own? I don't know where Sarah was in this conversation. I don't, we don't ever see her like, she goes along with all of them. He even, like, tries to pit it on her, blame it on her later on and tries to justify on the second one why he did it. But where are you at with that? See, for me, if the best thing I can do, knowing that I'm going to make plenty of mistakes is continue to push into God and my faith that, 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 hear me on this, that he is the author and perfecter of, well, then that's what I want my kids to see. I want to read books with them and I want to have fun and go to the pool and play games and be silly and snuggle and and wrestle and do all this I want to do all that stuff and that is good and that's beautiful but when it comes to the end what I want them to see is an authentic faith in Jesus Christ in me something that I say I can't do apart from his Holy Spirit I want them to say you know what dad he's kind of dorky he talked a lot and it didn't make a lot of sense sometimes but you know what he really loved Jesus I saw that in the way he treated I saw it in the way he treated others, and even saw it when he messed up. He always owned that. But ultimately, what I saw is this faith for God that was, despite how difficult it was to fall at times, I saw him continue to push into that. And that's what makes a lasting impression on the next generation. It doesn't mean an outcome. Let me hear this. Let me say this right now for some of you older parents. are like, man, my kids are strange. They're struggling. Look, Isaac does the same dumb mistake with Rebecca. She's my sister. Well, okay. (laughs) Dude, I mean, how many times around the campfire did he tell you not to do that? right, so it doesn't ensure that they're going to do the right thing or not. But I can tell you right now, Isaac had enough faith in the faith his father had of God to go like this. So tie it up, Bob. Make it happen. Let's do this. So as a father, I can take hope in knowing that to walk in a manner worthy of my calling, like the apostle Paul calls the Ephesians church, I can take heart in knowing that I'm going to do that only because of his spirit that lives in me. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm not going to be amazing. I'm not going to be super dad, but instead what I'm going to be is I'm going to be super submitted to the God who can create and do amazing things in me for his glory and his glory alone. And For those of you that aren't dads in here, or want to be dads or may never be dads, uh, I've always taken another thing out of this text that I feel like is one of those questions that I've always been asking myself for a long time, and that is, what's your Isaac? What's that thing in your life that God is saying, I need you to burn this at the altar so that you can trust and be more faithful to me? Is it, is it a good job? Is it a relationship? just metaphorically burn on the altar and just to want to be clear on that, okay? Some of your girlfriends are mad. You're like, maybe I should. Take him up. To, no, don't burn him. Um, what, do you need to, what do you need to lay down at the feet of God? Say, I'm done with it. Is, it. is it your money? Is it your education? These relationships, these friendships? What is it that God's saying? No, no, you don't understand. It's good and I know you. Like He says, take your son whom you love. God identifies, this is your son, and I know you love him so much. Now go sacrifice him. Hey, take your job that you love. And sacrifice it on the altar because I'm doing something in you. Look, our kids, dads, our kids are not going to see our provision more than they'll see our presence. We need to be present with our kids. They can't see faith in action if you're not around. We've got to be acting on it. We've got to be moving in that. For those of you that are still struggling, what is the idol in your life that's in the opposition of the faith that God is trying to do something amazing in you? What is it? Lay it on the altar. Let it go. Maybe for some of you it's, it's I, I, am, I am tired of this reputation that I'm trying to hold on to. I can't, I can't confess this darkness because if I do, my reputation will fall. Well, lay it at the altar and watch God's grace saturate your life. Lay it down. Whatever it is, it's not worth holding on to. And this is why Abraham is the father of faith, not because he was perfect. In fact, he was far from perfect, which gives all of us, including me, a lot of hope. But because he knew what God spoke, he needed to trust that more than his fears. He needed to put his hope more in God's protection and God's provision and God's presence than his own ability. And for some of you, whether you're a dad or not, that faith is not gonna show to anyone around you if you continue to hold on to these things. See, I hope all of us could live a life where we actually interact with people where they see a faith in us that doesn't make a lot of sense, and it draws them to want to know more about Jesus Christ who loves them so deeply, intimately. How would that be? It's like, man, I don't know the person, he's he's kind of this, but what, what I know about him, what I see in him is this faith that's unshakable in times of turmoil. And difficulty the band's gonna come up we're gonna to continue to worship but before we do I just again I want to ask this question to dads first would your children would my children see my faith in God more than my action in anything else do I give is there any space for my kids to experience my faith Or is it just kind of more of me directing and guiding them, lashing out? Because the only thing that's going to last is the faith that God has instilled in you. And my question for rest of you is, what is needing to be let go at the altar? What is needing to be sacrificed? What has God been asking for a long time? And my assumption is every time I've asked that question or said that something's popped up in your head, go with that. Just just run with that, and do what Abraham, our Father of Faith, did the next morning. Just get up and go. do it. trust God on His word, trust His spirit in you to do what he's, he's called to do, which is to bring glory to Jesus Christ through your life. Let me pray, Father, thank you for thank you for the history of Abraham. Thank you for knowing um, how much of a mess up he was yet still willing to do your amazing work in. Thank you for the pictures of complete and utter betrayal of self and surrender to you that we can follow in. Father, I pray for, for dads in the room, the ones that are struggling right now, to um, to even answer the question of what their kids would see. God, I pray that you would, you would overwhelm them with your truth, that your truth is what would come out of them. God, that they would remember that they don't have to have it all together. God, for the, for the wives that are maybe pushing too much pressure on a dad or they're feeling like there's, they're at odds because of it, God, I pray that you'd bring grace in there. We're all broken, messed up people in need of your grace, God. And God, for those that, that continually hide behind something, they continue to hide behind relationship, money, education, job, friends, status, intelligence, looks, whatever they're hiding behind, God, I pray that you would take that, pry that from our hands and lay it at the altar. Help us to, to be free from that so that we can have more faith in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.